HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Purchase a copy today at southernfarmandgarden.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. Last month, Hurricane Florence walloped parts of North Carolina. According to the Weather Channel, it was the wettest tropical storm to ever hit the Tar Heel State. So how did the restaurant industry respond? Some helped FEMA weather the storm, while others got to work feeding people on the ground. We just walked in and said, we know how to cook, what can we do? They said, I need you guys to just cook 150 pork loins, and we were just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Now the attention needs to be on Florence's long-term effect on North Carolina's farming community. The general mood of farmers is one of certainly resilience and almost feels like it's the normal course of business to just get hit by a gigantic hurricane and need to just keep on going. So tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Kane, welcome to In the Sauce, a new podcast about building food brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces for grocery stores last year, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school cafe and event space, and learning the world of CPG and grocery has been a massive learning experience. In my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me and share experiences from production and distribution to legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today I'm speaking with Scott Norton, co-founder of Sir Kensington's, the company that took the ketchup world by storm in 2010 and in seven years grew into a beloved condiment brand acquired by Unilever. Scott's been named, this is awesome, one of Fast Company's most creative people in business and listed on Forbes 30 Under 30. His career began at Lehman Brothers, and he's traveled across 23 countries in Asia on a folding bicycle. Scott's an alumnus of Brown and a member of the university's Advisory Council on Entrepreneurship, He's also an angel investor and mentor to purpose-driven food and tech startups. Hi, Scott. Hey, 
How's it going, Allie? Um, it's good. I have this like nervous feeling because there's so many things that I want to talk to you about, and I'm like going to be looking at the clock the whole time because I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. So. Well, the beautiful thing is we're going to unify it all together. Yes, in in 48 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. But who has more time than that, honestly? <laughs> right to listen or to no? Talk. That's true. I know. I know. I'm sure people out there don't want to listen to me ask you questions for six hours, but I have. I mean, I have at least that. In questions. I mean, everything from like meditation to the folding bicycle. But for, you know, I think for our purposes, we've talked about supply chain and we've talked about brand. And, you know, the goal of this is a little bit like the trenches. But for someone like you as a guest, it really is like help, you know. And I think the thing that when I think of you and I think about what what I know of you and your role at Sir Kensington's, it's so much about culture. Um, I think from what I understand, you think about it a lot. And so that's where we're going to really be focused today. Um, Wonderful. I can't wait. But before that, uh, fourth grade you, Uh what were you thinking you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, wow. Uh, Great question. Well, you know, there's, I feel like there's those elementary school professions, right? Like when you're like a kid, there's <laughs> Ice like, cream truck driver? there's like, right. yeah, there's like six professions, right? Yeah. And an astronaut is definitely one of them. So I, I, I definitely want to be an astronaut. My great grandfather uh, was in the U S air force and he worked on uh, rocket systems. Cool. And so I actually, he, he actually never went into space, but he was a pilot. Right. And so it's not like you know, being an astronaut was like in my blood or whatever, but certainly I had a reverence for right. um, physics and a reverence for engineering. Yeah, I never wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah, like ever. I, no. Well, so I mean, what was I your profession then? I wanted to be a teacher. Teacher, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Always since I was little, and, and now I was, you are. I was like the bossy girl on the school bus that would make <laughs> the younger girls do homework. Oh wow! And yeah, it was. It's not my proudest moment, but well, that is a very unique yeah. kind of bullying. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that they enjoyed it. I met Good. a bunch of them at like a reunion. Yeah, now they, yeah, they got straight A's like, thanks no, we to your tutelage. We were terrified of you. Right. So you wanted to be an astronaut. And do you remember, was it, was it just exploring? Was it the thrill? Like, what was it about it that seemed so interesting? Well, I think, I mean, I think first of all, like, the human mind grappling with the concept of space is just an an unbelievable thing. Totally. And I think also beyond that, what I what I love was, you know, when I mentioned before about the engineering, mm-hmm. I love to build things, and right. I, and and I think that's a that's a really important part of you know being an astronaut isn't just being on the ride; it's also understanding how do you put something into space. Were you, you know? a Lego guy? I love Legos. Yeah. I was completely obsessed. with You know, Legos. there's a whole theory about Lego people. Oh yeah, yeah. Because my son's a Lego person. Like you have a very special gift. Well, Lego. Yeah, people. thanks to thanks to Lego yeah. for for bringing that <laughs> gift out of us. Um, and I I also love to you know be outside and 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 build things. Right. So the tree houses and skateboard ramps and all that kind of stuff. So I love to put things together with my hands. Right. Um, that was something that always stuck with me. But also the combination of putting things together with your hands, kind of with these higher principles of physics and the way that the world works. Right. And that's, that's where those two things kind of, which is very cool. Yeah. Is that, 
when you went to Brown, did were you thinking you were going to go into like astrophysics or something like that? Well, it's really it's really funny. I mean, the way that the American school system works is like at the at the beginning when you start to learn about science, it's it's really creative and it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And then at some point when it starts to get more towards like high school and standardized testing, all of a sudden it, it, it becomes more like, okay, well, this is exactly how the lab is supposed to go. Right. This is the findings you're supposed to see. This is the data right. you're supposed to collect. These are the things you're supposed to memorize. And at that point I was like, oh man, like science mm-hmm. used to be so cool. Yeah. And now it's like boring. And so at that kind of at the same time it was like, oh, and that's where art comes in. Right, and that's right. where the creative part of it comes in. And so, actually, going in, going into um, going to college, I, I thought I was going to really be a filmmaker and study right. study film and study media. And then that transitioned into, and I ended up uh, st- I studied that, but I also ended up majoring in economics. Yeah, so that is an interesting transition, right? I mean, you're a science kid, and then you decide you want to make movies, and then what? what got you excited about economics? I mean, that doesn't mm. sound that exciting. Yeah. Well, so I think in both of those cases, right, where whether it's the engineering and, and the, the sort of technical and creative elements or whether it's making a movie, I think I had this realization, you know, from the things I learned and from travel that basically everything in the world exists within an economic framework. Mm-hmm. And if you love to build things, right, then, you know, it takes resources to build things. Right. And by the way, if, if you don't have the ability to sell things, then you just end up with a lot of things. Right. And so for, for me, I love the idea that, you know, economics was an important skill set that was actually more rare among creatives, but it was crucial right. to creatives to be able to create a platform for themselves that was a livelihood and that provided scale and that allowed them to self-perpetuate as creators. That's very forward-thinking for a college kid. I mean, it, that's really like, I mean, that's really cool that you were able to put that together. There are a lot of people right now building things and making things, and they're just so angry at the world that somehow they can't make money doing it. You mm. know, and I think, you know, there is a place obviously for just art for its own sake mm-hmm. and and making the yeah. world more beautiful in all those different ways but i think a lot of the debate at least among like small business owners and entrepreneurs is like you know we think we have this great idea but sometimes great ideas aren't great businesses right. and it takes us a while to figure that out and i think a lot of us wish we could figure that out a little earlier and if we had a little more finance or a little more economics maybe we would understand it's beautiful. It's great. The margins don't make sense. Yeah. Kind of and, and and it's really about what, what you want. You know, right. I have a tremendous amount of respect for artists. Right. And I actually, I, you know, I see my sort of obsession with building things into a business as actually, in a lot of ways, an impedance, right, mm-hmm. to true creative expression and to, and to true, quote, quote, unquote, art. And uh, for me, it's almost like either, either – uh, a scarcity mindset or a, or a form of paranoia where I'm right. like, I've got to build this into a business that's going to be commercially viable. Right. And I, I think that I was, I don't know, my, my natural curiosity really led me to understand, okay, well, what, what is money mm-hmm. and, and why, why is this thing important? Why is it important for these things to exist in an economic framework? Right. And there's a lot of different definitions of money, but I really like to think about money as kind of a, 
It's a representation of value. Mm -hmm. And value is ultimately only an emotional register in other people. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Whether it's why we give up our time, or what, what we're what we're willing to part with something, a problem we're looking to solve, or you know, something that's necessary to survival. Ultimately, it's about you know something in our right. own head and something in our own heart. Mm-hmm. And so, in that way, when you think about what a business is, like you know, business gets a really bad rap. And by the way, business has made a lot of mistakes. Right. And it's, even if you use that that word business, right. it's a giant blanket statement. Yep. But what businesses are is the, and the reason why they exist is to create value for customers. Yep. So in that, right, the reason why someone is trading money, the reason why they're giving you money is because you're actually providing them value. Right. And in their eyes, you're providing them more value than they're handing back to you. Otherwise, they wouldn't make the trade. Right. And so when you think about that as business is actually being a contribution to the customer and you 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 create something that is a sort of an arbitrage mm-hmm. where you you, it doesn't take you as much resources to produce something than it is someone willing is actually to pay for it. Right. That is a kind of alchemy that I love to try and create. And it's extremely hard. And I think that, I mean, one of the things I love about this generation coming up, whether, you know, you call them millennials, call them, I don't know, whatever. Zennials, well, Gen Z, Gen Z, Generation exactly. Alpha, you name it. Is that Marketers have a word for everyone down to nine <laughs> months. And old it babies. changes every six months. Yeah. But, you know, I'm 46. Right. So like my generation was basically we grew up with sort of like fight the man. But then our parents were Reagan people. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of had this like conflicting business is obviously like, you know, you need business, but it's it's big and bad. Whereas I really feel like these the 20 ish, they 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 see it as an absolute vehicle for good. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I, I don't think that they feel as conflicted about it. So they don't feel as conflicted about marketing themselves mm-hmm. or their things because they genuinely know that what they're putting out there is good for someone. You know, it's, I'm always sort of tortured about, I don't want to come off too salesy, but actually I, I feel like I have a product that is really making your life better. I shouldn't be embarrassed by that and i feel like this generation understands that in a way much better yeah than, than certainly certainly shouldn't be embarrassed by you know product know. that you believe in i think of course but if you find yourself thinking okay am i manipulating someone right not to say you should be embarrassed by that which is a negative connotation but it's something you should certainly be mindful of absolutely um so going back how'd you meet mark Mark and I were uh, we were in college together, mm-hmm. and we uh, we took a couple of classes together. And there was one that we uh, were an economics class that we were kind of collaborating on a project on. Something tells me he was not going to be an artist. I, I, I don't think that was in his right. plan. No, <laughs> okay. no. And and he was a he was an extremely sharp yeah. student and, and thinker. And uh, and we started talking about food, and mm-hmm. well, we we both loved food. Um, you know, I think we were both in a way like a bit food outsiders because his family, he's half Lebanese, I'm mm-hmm. half Armenian. We didn't necessarily just grow up with like the normal supermarket fare. Right. I think there was a kind of a cultural element to that. And uh, and so we, you know, from the very beginning, we had this adventurous take on it. Mm-hmm. And we also were both curious about entrepreneurship right. and, and curious about the potential to create something, a business that... Um, that put something into the world that we were excited about and proud of and that, that allowed us to, um, 
to kind of have some freedom and, right. you know, yeah. to zig when, when others zags. Right. I, and so that led us to talking about, you know, the fact that there is so much, there was so much change. Now this is in 2008 right. happening in the food world and in grocery stores. And now we look back on it and that's like in 2018, I 10 know. years ago, that was like almost the dark ages. But to then, you know, we really felt like it was in full swing that you mean like better for you yeah, and, and everything, people understanding the food exactly. system a little bit more. Food was becoming part of mainstream culture the way it never had. Right. And thanks to the food media and the really nascent beginnings of social media. Mm-hmm. And also I think just the distance that our generation as quote unquote millennials have from the, um, the, the really crucial world war two right. era food that mm-hmm. was about mass production and quantity and scale and, yeah. you know, minimizing price, you know, as we were distancing from that attitude as a culture, things were, there was a starting to be a perfect storm where people were looking for better. Yep. They were looking for better for you. They were Absolutely. looking for better for the environment. Yep. They were looking for more better transparent, for right. bre- better practices. And that's because food was becoming part of identity. Right. Yeah, I mean, Michael Pollan, I guess Omnivore's Dilemma was published in 2010. Oh, was it that late? Yeah. Wow. And I didn't I realize mean, it was that late in the game. No, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, by then there had there was definitely, I mean, I went back to school to get my master's at NYU in 2010. Mm-hmm. And half of the world seemed to totally understand when I was talking about food policy and sustainability and all of that. And half of the world had no freaking clue what I was talking about. And I think the next five years after that, now pretty much when you talk about the environment and its connection to the food that you eat, there isn't sort of like a big question mark over someone's face. No, there's not. So that happened. I I mean, I think it was really, he was definitely a critical piece of that. Absolutely. He definitely was. So as you guys are talking about, so you were talking about these big themes. You're talking about entrepreneurship and bringing something good into the world and food as identity and maybe, you know. Well, and, and actually, you know, Allison, to be totally candid and honest, we didn't have a lot of these words back then. No. Right? It was just feeling. Of it course. was like, oh, there's an opportunity here in right. that food is moving forward, but ketchup hasn't been innovated right. in, right? It's been left behind. Was and ketchup so the first could one? Could we fill this white space? Ketchup was the first one. It was the most glaring example to us as an industrial product that was in the marketplace that really should have been treated like a food product. Did you go, did you kind of scan through the categories and It really stuck out or? to us. Yeah, it was. It, it wasn't like we we scanned through. It was just this kind of one glaring piece. And right. you know, Malcolm Gladwell had written a piece a couple of years earlier in two thousand four called "The Ketchup Conundrum," mm-hmm. where he 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 posits that Heinz is the perfect ketchup because of right. this balance that it has. And he he references and brings in Howard Moskowitz, who's this I remember you know mm-hmm. organoleptic and sort of sensory researcher. Yep. And uh, that was like a piece of the inspiration, but that by no means was that the primary right. inspiration. And so there were all these different confluence of things that, that brought us to that. And so you guys basically were like, all right, we're going to start a ketchup company. We, we, we didn't necessarily say company. We just said, could we even make a better ketchup? Right. So it started with, if we were to make this, would people even like it? You right. know, would it be decent? How would they respond to it? So we, we started by saying, well, we're not chefs. You know, we're not experts by any means. Mm-hmm. I had spent very little time in the kitchen. Right. And, uh, and we created six different recipes that we 
basically trialed on our friends. And we slipped these invitations in people's mailboxes that said, Sir Kensington invites you to a ketchup tasting. Okay, and it there's was that so many things I need party. to ask. Because one of the things I listened on Invest Like the Best, that, mm-hmm. that podcast. Another, yeah, another podcast. I um, which was a great interview. Anyone should listen to it because you were just, I was like, it was like I was in a theory class. I really enjoyed it. But one of the things that I loved about that exact thing that you are talking about is that you said that if you just put one ketchup in front of all your friends, they would have been like, this is amazing. Yeah, Good job, yeah, guys. Yeah. But, but by, by giving them like a bunch to have to, to have to be critical about, they were sort of safe to say, I like this. I don't like this. And Absolutely. I just, that's such a, that's just a nugget. We could just be done. Well, I think yeah. and I mean, that's, that was amazing. And that's, uh, you know, that's not my idea. I mean, there's, no, if you, you know, Seth Godin, I think was a, is a seminal kind of marketing and kind of business entrepreneurship thinker. Mm-hmm. And if you actually look at the concept of design thinking and, yeah. and there's this, there's this great book, the 10 faces of innovation uh, by the founders of IDEO. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so much of what design thinking is, is I think what business thinking really should be, which is like, how do you, what do you, how do you go through the process of discovering the needs of, of kind of cultivating a market for something based around those needs, prototyping, trialing, right. testing, and then iterating and building something and, and putting it out into the world. And so we, uh, that was an attitude and an approach that really resonated with us. And so we, we followed it. And then when did it turn into an actual company? It turned into an actual company in 2010. Yeah. Uh, we we sort of worked on it nights and weekends for two years. Um, Mark, you know, especially put a lot of time in when I was abroad, mm-hmm. and uh, worked. We worked with a couple of other friends. We had other co-founders at the time uh, who were actually collaborating with us, looking for um, co-packers and funding sources. Right. And, you know, we were building a marketing and sales plan together. Yeah. Okay. And then we launched in 2010. So with that, we're going to take a little break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about how that company created the culture that is Sir Kensington's. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Each issue features stories about food history seasonal recipes, artisanal products, and the amazing people who bring it to your table. Packed with stunning photography, the content is fresh and educational. Southern Farm and Garden takes you behind the scenes to meet farmers, gardeners, wineries, chefs, and artists who are passionate about creating healthy, unique, and sustainable food and products that you can enjoy all year. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Purchase a copy today at southernfarmandgarden.com. Foodtank.com named Southern Farm and Garden one of the top 20 magazines for people who eat, cook, and grow, praising it for connecting readers with the food, the farms, and the stories behind our food system. Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at southernfarmandgarden.com. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. You're listening to In the Sauce, and we are back with Scott Norton, co-founder of Sir Kensington's. Um, so we're talking about culture. Um, did you start off with a company culture, or was it sort of the 
combination of your personalities? Mm. Well, I, uh, I had a, an, I did theater in high school mm-hmm. and, um, I had an amazing coach, right? The theater coach. And he would always say, you can't not communicate. (laughs) So if you're on stage, you could be saying nothing. You're just standing there, Mm -hmm. but you're actually saying something. Mm -hmm. You're saying something with your body language. You're saying something with where your eyes are going. You're saying something with where you're dressed. And so it would be, uh, you know, it would be crazy to say that we didn't have a culture because what you are is culture, Right. right? Whether you want it to be or not, whether it's intentional or not, the way that you treat each other, the way that you treat other people, the way that you approach planning, uh, the way that you manage your time, the way that you think about your hopes and aspirations, mm-hmm. the language that you use, that's all culture. Yeah. So culture is actually everything. And it's the stories that we tell ourselves and it's what we value. And, and it's, you know, it can be defined in some ways that, you know, it's who we are at our best. Uh, and in, and in some ways it can also who we are be at our worst. And there's also a shadowed quality to every positive quality. Oh, for sure. But it's about, you know, and, and at the beginning, but to maybe to answer your question in a way that's, you know, not as snarky no, is that snarky. our culture wasn't as intentional at right. the beginning. It's also and I hard think it was something that was assumed. People, right. I mean, I, when you're growing, when you, when you have more than two people, when you have more than a single founder, right? Like, yes. I mean, the Havens culture before I started really honing in on what those values were and codifying it, it was essentially just an, a, just an outgrowth of me yes. a little bit, a little woo woo, trying really hard, always there, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, going to, of course it's going to key off of you. Right. Right. And, and frankly, that's kind of, it, it should. Right. Um, but and, when there are a bunch of you, like you probably communicate differently than Mark communicates, I would imagine, or, you know, but so there are two real questions here. Like one, how intentional about it were you? And two, I guess, was it more challenging to get intentional about it with more than one founder in the pot? Mm. I, th- I think we were we we th- we were intentional about it, um, but I don't think we necessarily recognize all the dimensions of culture. Right. So I think we were intentional about you know a culture of being responsive. Mm-hmm. We were intentional about a culture of having a, a high a high bar f- and a polished quality of work. Mm-hmm. Um, we were intentional about having big ambitions and we were intentional about, you know, people's ability to communicate. Right. And, but there's a lot more to it than that. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot around, well, what is a unified sense of purpose? Mm -hmm. And, and also like as the, as the company grows and very important to culture is, well, what, how do you develop people and welcome people in that might not have exactly those same cultural views or, or, or the same, um, habits, but maybe they want to improve them, or right. maybe actually you ha- you have shattered qualities that, or um, things that are holding you back that new members of the team actually want to make you aware of. Right? Because you're not even as a founder, you're not. That doesn't mean that you're the perfect gold standard no. of a productive culture. It right. may mean that you have right. more of a um, more of a weight and more of a say, and you and you set the tone more. Right. Um, but at but at the same time, uh, it doesn't mean that. You re- represent the perfect kind of, no. you know, key, key person in the organization. Far from it. I cry at work. Not great for culture. Well, I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, that's not mes- necessarily a, a bad thing. I think like we've, we've, we've robbed a lot of emotion from the workplace and we are emotional individuals. Yes. There might be an important time to cry. Well, thanks yeah. a lot. Um, 
for those of us sort of starting out, you know, not me as much because I have this sort of pre-existing culture, but a lot of people listening are just starting and they really want to, you know, just get their product out there and start getting sales going. And, you know, is there anything that you would advise them to do really concretely from the get go Mm -hmm. or anything that you wish you had done from the get go that maybe you had to sort of reverse engineer a little bit later on? Yeah, that that's an, that's an excellent question. And I think to kind of bring it back to what's really uh, actionable here is, you know, it's never, it's you're, you're never too small and it's never too early for you to have aspirations about the change that you want to make. Mm-hmm. And frankly, like it's really rooted to that question of why should anyone else care? And when I don't say why should anyone care, it's not necessarily because it, 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 I'm not looking for something that's rooted in the product, mm-hmm. right? Well, before that blank only had high fructose corn syrup and now it's made of real sugar, right? Or now it is happens to be certified keto or whatever. Right. That's not a why that's not a big change. Right. Right. I think it's it's you have to think about like, okay, well how are you gonna motivate people to apply for jobs? How are you gonna motivate, you know, get people excited when they're on the team and they're having a hard day and they're hearing a bunch of no's? Mm -hmm. How how are you going to when, you know, when it's time to release a new product or raise your profile, if you want to be interesting to an editor or to a publication, you're not going to be able to do that on the dimension of what, right? right? And on just the product. And maybe you can once or twice, but once that product is out there, it's not news anymore. Right. But the people that earn the media, the people that are in the press, the organizations that are in the press are not operating on the dimension of what they're operating on the dimension of why. why? And they're, they're really good storytellers. Yeah. And so this goes back to think you have to really, as an individual or if you're as a very small team, um, and even as you grow into a bigger team, it's, a, it's about an introspective process that you ask the question, okay, what are the higher order, what, what are the reasons really that I've chosen to do this? What do I come to work every day for? Because right. if it, the answer was paycheck, right. I would go be a lawyer, right. right? Or I would go and take my talents and I would go and work at a company that was more stable, that had already found its product market right. fit, right? That had, you know, all sorts of different benefits to an established organization. But for some reason, why have you chosen to do this? And why has your team chosen to do the same? Mm-hmm. Uh, and is that and is that a statement about the contribution you're making to the world around you? Um, or or uh, how, how do you really ask those questions to put kind of on paper in front of you What's the change we're trying to make, and and why are we all here? And there's a there's a great book um, called Do D O uh-huh. colon Purpose that I recommend. That's uh, a great one. And it's written, you know, by a guy out of Wales named David Hyatt. I think is his name, but it's mm-hmm. like a Welsh name, so I can't even pronounce okay. it. Um, but you know, he he talks a lot in that book about how to very simply kind of define your right. purpose. And at Sir Kensington's, you know, this only this came to us. Six years after founding, right? But we it we, was there. You just hadn't necessarily codified it. Exactly, it right. was there. We hadn't codified it. But in, in 2016, we put on paper that our our mission as a company, mm-hmm. uh, which it, it was to uh, bring integrity and charm to ordinary and overlooked foods. And how does that mission translate out and down? I mean, you guys are known within the food world as being able to just find the best interns, Mm -hmm. you know, get people to like 
really drink the ketchup. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> thanks, Maddie. <laughs> thanks. Um, how, and clearly, right, there's a connection between that and this mission, whether or not it was codified, right? And the way yes. that you communicate and all that. Right. Are there any just, is, can you think of anything that you did in particular? Did you have team meetings in a certain way or I mean really granular yeah. did you give reviews in a, in a you know it, in terms of our values yes yeah. I mean so this is this is the key thing right if you write it down and you put it on a, in a book or you put it on the wall and you don't use it it's not culture it's right. just an artifact right mm-hmm. it's just it's just hanging on the wall it really is okay you know you got to think about okay if my business were religion mm-hmm. what would the Ten Commandments be right? right what would my sermons be what would salvation look like, right? Mm. Who who are the leaders? Who are the um, who are the evangelists, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you really have to think about okay when you when you praise someone mm-hmm. or when you give critical feedback to someone, the way that you do that isn't saying I like the way you did this or I didn't like the way you did this. It's hey, here's what our values are, and here's how what you did actually supported and modeled those values. Right. Right. So it's always up against that mission statement. It's always up against that mission right. statement. It's always up against those values. And from a from a when we you know do sales presentations, this is super hard. Yeah. For even us to have to learn is don't start with the product. Start with the mission. Right. Right. I am here in this office meeting with you so that we can blank together. Right. Right. And people love what we do and they want to enroll in what we're doing because blank right and we happen to make right ketchup or we happen to make mayo and it's got these qualities and of course that is these qualities because that's rooted in our values it's rooted in you know the 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 respect that we have the long-term thinking the stewardship for you know human health and for the environment and all these kinds of things but um it's it's all got to kind of talk to these the the greater purpose and that takes a lot of practice, and it's also super awkward at first, right? Because when you meet someone at a cocktail well, party, not everyone can talk on that level to some extent, right? yeah, or yeah. wants to, yeah, or, or they, wants right. to, or or yet, or or they, you got to find your zen with it, right? right? And it's you can't you you can't just sort of blurt it out there, right? You have to ask the question, and it requires a lot of individual, you know, thinking, right. creative and analytical thinking. Uh, for for how you want to share that individually. And also, it's going to be a little... I mean, the shared purpose and the shared values, they've got to be shared. They've got to be adopted and, and written down and, and, and discussed. But also, everyone's going to have a little bit of a different take on wh- what why the mission is important right. to them and, and what their sense of kind of personal purpose is and what their individual contribution is to it. And I think this is also really key. You know, you mentioned interns. But all the... You know, our first value as a company is that mm-hmm. our secret ingredient is people. Right, and that's really a belief that everything we do out in the market, right? Every 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 idea that we can put into practice, every goal that we reach, every new product that we create, it's really a it's a a result of the human energy from our team yeah. and the hard work and the the creativity and the appetite for risk and and you know all that kind of stuff, the learnings from failure, and uh, and it's also about treating each other with respect, and it's about treating people. You know, and human values with respect, um, but the that idea of the secret ingredient is being pe- people. Mm-hmm. When you think about 
we start with why for what is, what why does our company belong in this earth right, right. why are we valuable to those who right. do not collect a paycheck here right you also then the next question is well i as an individual what is my contribution to this company right right and what is my contribution to the bigger piece of it and that's where i think really elegantly you get a nice connection between What's this company's kind of, you use this phrase, woo-woo, right? right? What's this woo-woo purpose right. to actually, what's the strategy and how do I fit into the strategy? Right. And, uh, and that- Specifically, though, for, for like, because I've had people, I mean, I'm sure you had people who were perfectly strong, solid employees, and yet something didn't align exactly with this greater purpose, or, 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 you know, or did you not have those because you had hiring practices that just figured that out ahead of time? You know, like, and I, I think, you know, separately, and yeah. you can address these however you want. I think these days, everyone, everyone talks about team and everyone talks about how important their people are because you can't hire people unless you're, you're telling them that, you know, to some extent. And that is sort of zeitgeisty. Um, but what separates a company like yours that you know really does that and the companies that do lip service to it is what well i'd say for one we're not perfect right no I mean, one's that, perfect yeah and, and 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 sometimes it feels like we're really far from perfect but i do think you ask a, about you it. ask about um you know interviews in the hiring process mm-hmm. that's an extremely important piece of it right is we really i mean the one of the biggest questions we ask and not not just ask, but really listen for the for depth in the answer yeah. is why why what's your relationship with food like? Right. Why Sir Kensington's? We want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Right. And I think that um if someone's like, oh I'm looking for, you know, a new opportunity and you know I and this that's seems to be where the market is going. Right. It's kind of like, okay, well, that's that's transactional. Right. But if someone actually, if the answer that someone gives illuminates to us that they want to be part of the story of food, mm-hmm. then you know that they're going to have like that motor in them, and you're going, they're going to be aligned with you know our purpose as a company. That unfortunately does not make up for deficiencies in the technical side or in the analytical and the creative side. Right. And, and, you know, we've had challenges across the board. I mean, we've, we've lost a lot of people. We've had to let a lot of people go. But we also have an amazing team now that we've right. grown and cultivated to 38 people. And every single one of them is is obsessed with moving food forward. Right. Right. And I, and I think that, that there's a certain pride there uh, that, that has a, a tremendous impact on the market. And, and you know, when talking about the, the woo-woo, mm-hmm. right, like – People are not shopping in Whole Foods for purely logical reasons, no. right? right? People are not taking things home and eating them and sharing with their family or bringing them to a dinner party for purely logical reasons. Right. You know, I look at, I, I'm a big fan of natural wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I doubt that anyone could really take, like, right. determine oh, this is a natural wine and this isn't. Right. No, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great idea. Right. It's a backlash to an overwrought, industrialized right food system that we have the labels are pretty and natural wine is cool right right and it's and it's like it's not the most logical thing in the world like oh well i don't think they contain sulfites right well, if you look on the back of them they right. say contain sulfites Absolutely. like right. it, it's 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 not the same thing as 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 pure utility right, right. um it's not like octane 87 versus octane octane 91 right and um and it's similar for people that choose to work you know i mean that's i think that's kind of what you're saying right there's an identity 
you know, when you choose to eat a certain food over the commodity version of that food, let's say, and you're willing to pay that extra, you know, whatever it is, it's yeah. because it's because something about you feels connected identity wise to that thing exactly. and, and you're, and you're, you're being your best self on some level or you're tapping into, you know, this, you know, this new community of people now that you're a part of. That's and right. And that community, yeah. the, what's at the core of that community are the members of a team, right? right? They set collectively the tone for everything that's put out there. And I guess my biggest sort of question is because I feel like most people who are starting businesses are, you know, that expression like the bus is going 60 miles an hour down the highway. It's really hard to stop the bus and like check to make sure the tires are right. Like, yeah. And I think that the, you know, you set, you know, every week we're going to have a team meeting and somehow it's been three weeks and we haven't had one or like, I really want to have a review process that really makes people feel connected and like know how they're doing. And I want to give them the feedback, but I'm out pitching whatever. So, you know, yes. it's, it's that stuff that I feel like, you know, the best intentions, um, culture ends up taking a little bit of a backseat. That's or right. It's team. extremely hard to prioritize. And, and that's kind of where like, I feel like people really need help. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, this is a, this is a really tough one. And, 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 you know, it wouldn't really, I mean, it was always kind of in our mind, but it wouldn't really, we wouldn't really be where we are, um, on the culture level, unless I hadn't had a lot of personal challenge actually oh, in the so business. Tell me about that. And, you know, when we, when you start, when you start a company, like you've got your role, maybe if you're a sole founder, you're doing everything, you begin to delegate things. Mark and I had roles together and I was, you know, running marketing and I was the CMO mm -hmm. and I became, as the company grew, less and less effective right. as a CMO, actually. I'm and finding I, myself less and, and less I knew <laughs> less and less about how to employ the growth tactics that were necessary, how to invest to right. see return. Mm -hmm. And um and and how to measure, and so I actually uh, stepped aside from that role and had a period of wondering what am I what am I yeah what what am I good for what is my contribution is this the right place for me and did a lot of you know fantastic conversations that were alongside of that discovery process and actually what I heard from people and what I realized was that this was an area that we were lacking in. We didn't necessarily, we had very inconsistent reviews. Right. Yeah. Some great managers did reviews once a year and would do a write-up for everyone. Yep. And some managers did not. Right. Because it wasn't codified. It wasn't codified. Right. And sometimes we were at our best from a values perspective and, you know, and sometimes we were super lacking. Right. Some teams lived by these, a set of values you know, not written down, but like, mm -hmm. but implicitly through their actions, right. and other teams didn't, and um, and we hadn't defined a you know a purpose, and we hadn't defined a, these these values, and I think that coming coming back to the business with a set of fresh eyes, and actually giving myself the literal time of day to, check to say like, tires. well, this is my priority, right. right? Is my priority is listening and putting these things in place. My right. priority is making sure that we can actually get to a point where we're starting our sales presentations with a sense of purpose yeah. rather than here's what we make, you know, so please buy you the product. Out, did, you, did you come back? I mean, that sounds, first of all, that sounds really challenging 
So I'm sorry. Oh, because, or don't be sorry. It was well, the best I mean, thing that ever happened thing, to me. It but, was fantastic. You know, yes. As often these things are the best things that ever happen, but I can, I can feel the day coming when I'm somewhat redundant in a lot of the things and this thing that I've built. And, um, why is that scary to you? You know, I don't think it's scary to me. I think it's just, I think that going back to that identity piece, you know, when something is all you think about all day, every day, you know, I mean, really, mm-hmm. even when you're not, even when I'm with my kids, even when, you know, this is my life, yes. right? And I built it so that it could be totally integrated into my life. Yes. And the idea that if it's successful and it does what it should do and I am smart about it and the right people come on board it will be less and less my life um, just makes me feel a little bit like, okay, well, what is my life mm, then? Right. Yeah. I mean, I know I want to, I know I ultimately I want to, you know, continue being a professor, but you know, that's in some time, but right. I can imagine that um, I can imagine that that would be challenging for you. And when you came back, did you have sort of this like, this very manifesto-ish type of like, okay, this is now, like, this is who we are and this is how we're going to apply it down, you know, all no, the way upstream to downstream. No, I, I started with listening. Okay. So, like, going back to that, that those first ever tasting party where yeah. we said, we don't know what the perfect ketchup is, so let's let people tell us. Right. It really started, I didn't, you know, I didn't say, like, this is exactly what our values need to be. It was... Let me ask people, why do you come to work here? Gosh, we all forget to do that. Yeah, asking questions is like, like so everything. important. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially in sales. Right. Like if you want to, like my, my leadership coach, which is another thing I highly recommend for founders and any leader to do is get a coach. That's a great idea. Um, is he says, he who, who is doing the speaking is being sold. And when someone in a sales meeting, like if you get a buyer to like talk about themselves and talk about their challenges for like 20 minutes, they're like, that was a great meeting. (laughs) You know, I love you guys. Yeah. No one feels heard. Imagine being one of these buyers. You sit there and people just hammer you all day long with data and priorities and this and that. And let's go out to dinner. And like everyone's got an ulterior motive. And if you can make the space to, uh, you know, draw out of these people what they want to share, you're, you're, you really have an advantage. Right. So you, you came back and you did a lot of listening and then did you have like a, Oh, this is, this is our, yes. These are, yeah. It, we, you know, a lot of post-it notes and going through the process of mind mapping and organizing. And it was kind of like a beautiful mind for a while, kind of putting it all together and then realizing all the different things we needed. And that's, it's evolved significantly, you know, since then. And does it travel through, you know, if you picture sort of, all the stakeholders is it traveling from like everyone on the team all the way through like the consumer and how those values kind of trace through you know customers and you know like does it honestly it's not in that level of detail no. right no it's it's and it's also part of it is because there's a limit to how much people can remember well right so you know there's we when we get you know into the strategy it gets very detailed but i think it's it's would probably be for us too much to take you know, for every single type right. of party, it's more like you need to figure out what this means for you. Right. I did something similar where I read a book by Debbie Millman called Brand Thinking, and is, it, she, is she the one that's the Design Matters yeah, podcast? She's just, I was just like looking at my, that this morning. She is 
the bee's knees. Oh, cool. That's all I can tell you. Oh, I love the meter. And basically, I, I like was on a long flight and I read the book. And as I was reading the book, I was typing up this like chart of, you know, basically it was a similar thing, sort of what are the, you know, what are the filters through which you look, you know, at the world? What, you know, what's your brand Jungian archetype? All of that really fun, juicy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had done an exercise where I had all of like the main managers kind of write to me, like, what do you think our values are? Cause I kind of felt like it was time for a little bit of a new mission statement. Um, and then I took a, you know, one of our brand values is clarity, right? Uh-huh. So I was thinking, okay, our pouches are clear, our walls are clear, but am I clear about the, you know, parental leave policy? Like we have one, but am I clear about it? Not uh-huh. so clear about it. And so it was kind of this really fun exercise. That's great. Where I was able, but it, it took time and we're still in the middle of it. And it's, it's hard at the very beginning of something, but what would you, yeah, you need to road test it too. Like, yeah, that's the, that's the really important thing is it's important to put something out there and basically let it get banged up. Right. And, you know, so we, we actually have, we've, we've, changed our values we've, oh, yeah? we've moved them forward and can you give me an example of something that yeah was so there? so we we had so when we first did our our listening for instance um actually here's here's a good example okay. so we what our our fourth value which is our final value as mm-hmm. a company used to be we think long term mm-hmm. and we you know with with our other values and kind of with the sense of mission and and with the fact that we're really an entrepreneurial company, we've always really valued uh, responsiveness and a sense of urgency, right. personal responsibility and agency, really being like an advocate for yourself and, and when necessary, like micromanaging stuff to get your needs met. Right. And um, we we found that as we were growing, it it that got lost a little bit and there uh-huh. was a little bit of the he said she said of like oh well this department is supposed to send me this and they never right. sent me this and this person's supposed to ask for this but they never asked for me that right, so that's right, why right. i didn't send it and so we said we we changed that to we think long term yet we act in short order ah so we great. can actually instantiate that value right. into the the w- our stated values right um, which is something that was really important for us because right. we you know we we all as leaders found ourselves in situations where we'd sit down with someone and be like this isn't clicking mm-hmm. but this is who we are right. so really like we need to be who we are here right and we realized you know what? it's not clear enough in the values so we need to make that more clear um that's a great example do you know total aside but there was a fourth uh, Rice Krispie. Oh yeah, Snap, Crackle, Pop, and <laughs> Pow, Pow. Yeah, and he just disappeared one day. But it just reminded me of your fourth value. That, Four you know, is tougher than three. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Total aside, I have a couple more questions. I want. I, I don't know who. I forget who makes Rice Krispies, yeah. but they could really do something with that. I know. Bring well, that I feel back. Like he, He's like yeah. the the prodigal son of like I know. the puffed rice world. Totally. All right, I'm getting a signal from Matt. I just have two more questions. Great. Um, what's the most fun you've had? Most fun I've had? You mean, uh, like, Do, period? No, with uh, the company and, like, all along this journey. Must have been fun to have someone want to buy you. Must have been fun to sell your first case. Yeah. Um, let's see. It's a moment. Fun. I do have a lot of fun. 
I know. I know. I have a lot of fun. I think I really, I'm really, I mean, we, we created this quote unquote brand, mm-hmm. but it started with this concept of this quirky character, Sir Kensington. Right. So I really love putting that proverbial top hat on mm-hmm. and thinking like Sir Kensington and writing like Sir Kensington right. and, you know, Embodying. acting like right. Sir Kensington. So for me, like I have a lot of fun, like, you know, whether it's brainstorming tweets or, you know, right. sometimes my team will, they'll, they'll ask me like, Hey, we're going to, you know, write this letter to these, you know, our group of super fans, you know? And, and so I get to like, be Sir, be Sir Kensington, <laughs> and I get to write that, and and it I goes have a, back to your acting days. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Acting, improvisation, and yeah. a little bit of writing, and so make a Sir Kensington Lego set. That would that would be so, super be cool. Super I would cool. love that with like little cooking, yes, you know, like gear and everything. Mini, yeah, yeah I, I think that would be awesome. All right, and then yeah. I guess my last question is before we have to go, like, if and there, I this is a hard one. I'm warning you, but Great. for all of those people out there who are starting their brands or companies or whatever you want to call it, like, what's one major piece of advice that you just want them to carry in their back pocket? Mm. Major piece of advice for someone starting something. You know, there's so many trite ones right like never give up and think big and blah 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 i think you know something you said to me earlier was like i feel kind of icky doing sales Mm -hmm. or like yeah finding myself like in a sales position yeah and i think like that don't be scared of sales yeah sales is the act of of enabling something to understand that what you do is valuable yep right and like all the stress struggles and all the stress that you have yeah. it's all rooted in the fact because people that people don't think what you do is valuable enough. right if people think what you do is super super valuable those problems they become champagne problems you still have problems right but those fundamental existential problems kind of go away yeah that's so a great one sell the shit out of yourself i love sell it. the shit out of what you got i love it that's a perfect way to end scott thank you we made it we made it in thank 56 you, minutes. Thank you, Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Matt, thank you for being a rock star engineer. Um, I'm sure there are engineers out there that don't do it as well as you. So we will see I you guys. The levels are perfect. <laughs> I know, the levels are perfect. <laughs> yeah. um, see you next time on In the Sauce. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.